0: Welcome to The Thrive TV Show with Lauren Parsons, helping you boost your health, energy, and productivity.
1: Hi there, and welcome to another episode of The Thrive TV Show. I'm Lauren Parsons, your host, and today I'm joined by David Downs, who is based in Auckland. Nice to have you here today, David.
0: Kia ora, thank you for having me.
1: Yeah, so good to connect with you. We were just saying beforehand, I don't know how I haven't already met you, and I'm so thrilled to meet you today. Thank you so much for sharing your time with us today we're talking about facing the worst so we're going to chat a bit about resilience optimism when things go bad and practices that you can employ to keep your spirits up so david before we dive into that i'd love to just ask you my this and that question. So oh, are you ready please, for a please. quick fire round
0: okay sure do i have to so fast right? okay right
1: I that's my, the idea my <laughs> right. so tell me cats or dogs
0: oh given i've got my dogs sitting right next to me it, it'll have oh. to be dogs. Yeah. Oh, nice. come over.
1: Mm. yeah yeah always right. bring the dogs into, ca- into the camera if you are listening in to the podcast version of this on spotify or itunes oh dog. you've got to come and see the youtube version that's our <laughs> tv show what what yeah. breed
0: he's a cavoodle
1: there is a gorgeous beautiful caramel colored cavoodle yeah, on screen right now oh very cute thank
0: yeah. you right. tell me a bit.
1: indoors or outdoors
0: uh, outdoors
1: mm-hmm. nice chicken or beef
0: oh chicken actually
1: yeah okay shower or bath
0: i shower definitely i hate baths it feels like you're stewing in you know in some sort of soup it's horrible
1: okay broccoli or carrots
0: oh broccoli
1: okay uh would you rather be a poet or a scientist
0: oh my gosh i don't think the two things are mutually exclusive i have to say because i studied science at university and i've written a bit of poetry Um, but if I, if you put a gun to my head, I'd be a poet.
1: Okay. A month without your car or a month without the internet?
0: Um, I hardly ever use the car so you can take it, (laughs) but I, I, I can't live without the internet because it's how I connect with the world, particularly in these lockdowns that we've had over the last year or two.
1: Yes, absolutely. And last one is dinner with Samuel L. Jackson or dinner with Morgan Freeman?
0: Oh, can I choose dinner with my wife?
1: oh oh there you go you get absolutely you get so many brownie points for that don't you yeah Yeah, very nice wonderful so if you haven't met david he has had an amazingly successful career both in the private and public sector with senior roles at organizations like microsoft new zealand trade and enterprise he's now the ceo of the new zealand story and he also acts as a consultant and as director on several boards he's an ex-comedian TV and radio actor, semi-finalist for New Zealander of the Year, and he's a published author of his books, Number 8 Rewired, Number 8 Recharged, A Mild Touch of Cancer, and Silver Linings. He co-founded SOS Business, a hugely successful not-for-profit initiative that helps cafes and other small businesses and has helped them during COVID-19. So thank you so much for sharing your time and wisdom today. So David, oh, yeah. just tell me, can you share a bit of your, your story with us?
0: Yeah, I'll give you the very short version, because if I talk for too long, um, I'll, I'll take up all your time. But the short version was, I was just a normal, you know, working mate, man and, um, and and started to feel a bit sick. And I thought I had the flu and mm. finally went to the doctor after much cajoling from my wonderful wife and discovered I actually had a pretty major cancer um, issue. Wow. And this was about three or four years ago now. And ended up getting, you know, it had, I'd had cancer for so long, I went straight into hospital. And I was in hospital off and on in New Zealand for about a year, um, wow. which was just a complete surprise. And then, um, but ultimately I was told that it wasn't successful. The treatment I was having, the chemotherapy wasn't, wasn't working. Um, wow. It was a pretty major problem. So I ended up yes. you know, getting a terminal diagnosis. I was told I had six months to, um, to a year to live. Um, and you know that was a major kind of point for our family after already being a year's worth of treatment. Um, but through amazing luck and the help of others and incredible um, science, going back to your point about science, yes. um, I managed to get myself on a clinical trial in the USA, and I went over to Boston and, wow. uh, and and spent about a few months over there, basically on a clinical trial for a new type of cancer therapy at, at Harvard Medical School. So I was. Incredibly lucky, and I was, you know, cured basically, and wow. came back to New Zealand a few years ago, and sort of thought, wow, this is incredible. So since then, it's you know, it's completely you know changed the structure of my life and my outlook on life. And we've worked mm-hmm. to get the same treatment here in New Zealand that's now available uh, in New Zealand, which is fantastic. So people don't have to go all the way to Boston like I did. Um, right. Yeah, it's a big a big breakthrough. But you know, suddenly from being told I was terminal to then suddenly going, you know, you, you're better, you're cured, no evidence of cancer.
1: Wow. Big big shifts. Okay I mean I can just imagine from the outside that that must have been a massive perspective shift so can you tell us a bit about what did it actually do to your perspective on life?
0: Yeah I mean I've always been an optimistic person I'm very you know from a child all through my life I've been optimistic and positive and um, but now I'm probably even more so Um, you know I you know I talk about this quite a lot with groups about about the power of optimism and, and how it actually creates the future you want. It's not just about, yes. you know, being kind of Pollyannaish and thinking, oh, isn't, isn't it beautiful? It's actually about, you know, creating a different type of future. And so I, and I think personally, you can be an optimist or a pessimist and whichever one you choose, you get good at it mm. when you practice. And yes. when you practice optimism, it, it becomes like a skill, like a learned skill. It's like, you know, you mm. go to the gym and, and you sort of build your muscles up you do the same with your, with your attitude. Um, so, so that, that to me is you know, probably the, the biggest thing is that now I'm you know, very optimistic constantly looking for what's the best that can possibly happen in this particular scenario so yeah that's probably the, different, the biggest perspective um, the other mm-hmm. thing for me is I didn't go back to full-time work for a long time in fact even now I'm only part-time in my job um, I love wow. the jobs that I do but I've realized that there's so many me- more things in life that give you meaning and purpose that you've got to spare you've got to free up the time to do them so, mm-hmm. so that's probably the other big thing for me.
1: Okay. So oh, I've got two directions I want to head. In. I'm going to yeah. jump into this first. Can you tell me, for those that are listening in, how do you say no to all the opportunities that could be in front of you? Because I imagine there could be many. How yeah, do you I'm- actually bring yourself back to just working part-time then? Or to limit yeah. those things that you do?
0: I have this mental picture in my head of a, of a, you know, a Venn diagram where you get the circles that overlap. Yes. And the circles that overlap in my mind, are there's three of them always. One is, is this important for the world? Is it, is it useful and important? Mm. And the second circle is, have I got the skills to actually do something useful? And the third is, do I like the people? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And when it hits all those three, it's useful and important, and I've actually got some skills, and the people I'm going to work with are great then I'm in, you know, I'm in. And, and that, that, that says so nothing about the, this, the, what it is necessarily. So I find myself doing everything from the I work in the technology sector a lot. I work with other cancer patients a lot. I work in charities. I do this work with the New Zealand Story, which is about branding New Zealand to the world.
1: Mm-hmm. So it's a real
0: variety of things, but they all hit that, the middle part of that Venn diagram.
1: Yeah, I've heard of that diagram as well before and, you know, that, finding that sweet spot.
0: Yeah, Where you've got the thing
1: that you're really good at and that you love doing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, if you can
0: find that, and and you know, you're really on a journey in life to find that 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 sweet spot, and mm. it starts with learning about yourself. Like you know, you a lot of people don't yes. realize that that the most important thing is to spend some time really understanding yourself. And when you go through this sort of terminal cancer diagnosis, and I've talked to lots of patients who have this experience, you learn a lot about yourself. Like you know, learn what's important to you and and what makes you tick and what your values are. That makes that much easier to make those sorts of decisions because you're kind of coming from this point of clarity of your own purpose.
1: Oh, absolutely. Mm. I I mean, I do a lot of leadership training as well and so much about great leadership is about great self-awareness. When we start with that self-awareness, then everything comes out of that. Yeah. Yeah. The other direction that I wanted to head in and, and ask you about was to zone in on optimism because you talked about that it's something that you practice. So can you give our listeners today some really you know practical ways that we can actually boost optimism
0: yeah you absolutely i just shut my door anyone
1: yes your dog's um, gone out
0: <laughs> life i mean it's a great thing about this lockdown actually isn't it that you kind of like much more in people's other people's lives and you see each other as humans instead of just as um it's kind of uh, you know figures or talking heads on a screen um so the optimism thing for me so i mean the key th- one thing to learn about optimism and actually if you study the literature. Um, so I'm, I'm using the science brain because you said it earlier. Yes. Science brain. Uh, if yep. you study the liturgy, what you'll discover is that um, optimism is um, in part genetic. So you know, part mm-hmm. part of what you how you see the world is you're genetically predisposed. Um, part of it is circumstance, and part of it is learned skills. But the ratio is nowhere near what most people would think. Most people would think that most of it's to do with your circumstance, and then your genetics, and then a little bit your skills. In fact, it's the other way around. Your circumstances play very little part to do in your in your everyday happiness. So that's why you know billionaires can be miserable and yes. people living in poverty can be um, very happy because the actual circumstance. And that's not that's not to belittle people who who are having real hardship in life. By the way, that's just to say that circumstances mm-hmm. have less impact than you think. Genetics also has less impact than you think. You know, it's about you know scientifically about 30 to 40 percent of how you see the world is based on your genetic predisposition. Mm-hmm. which leaves 40 30 to 40 to 50 percent which is all about learned skills and that's yes. what's so incredibly powerful when you when you realize that and then when you learn how to do it and it's not like there's a magical thing by the way it's purely around you know, practicing optimism many of the old sort of old wives tales and sort of wisdom from ancient cultures comes in here things like being thankful and grateful mm-hmm. um, and you know um, taking a moment of sort of gratitude which has got a bit sort of out there with hippie-ish almost but actually when you look at the neuroscience behind it it's purely about reinforcing the circuits in the brain that are that are focused on on um, positive things and create dopamine and and those sorts of Mm -hmm. things so so for me there is lots of practices that you can do like for example every morning I wake up before I before I get up I think what's the best thing that's going to happen today what am I looking forward to what's the kind of what's the kind of key points I'm really going to relish and 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 then as the day goes through you're kind of anticipating and looking forward to stuff. It's like when you book a holiday, I always think I use that analogy. When you book a holiday, the holiday bit's actually only about 30% of the fun. The fun bit is the the planning, the what if, the looking at maps, the kind of working out schedules. Then you go on holiday and let's be honest, sometimes when you go on holiday, it's not all that much fun. You know, like you've got to find a dry cleaner or it rains or you get sunburned (laughs) or the food's not as good as you thought or whatever. But later when you look back, all that's gone and you just remember the great bits. <laughs> so Absolutely. you kind of relish it and kind of bask in it. and so that's that's the same sort of technique. Just use that same kind of idea in, in all parts of your life is that okay I'm really looking forward to today because I'm going to get to talk to Lauren. I've got another talk this afternoon. And then later in the day when you're reflecting that you go I think I did a good job on that. That was actually really enjoyable. I met some cool people yeah. you know it yeah. made me think of something a bit different. So you're kind of constantly reinforcing the positive circuits in your brain. Yeah, um, I love And again, that. it's like building a muscle. You're just kind of mm. constantly building those muscles.
1: Yeah, and I, I totally agree. I often talk about gratitude. And you're right that sometimes people just think it's a bit of a woo-woo idea. But the thing is, the reason we keep hearing about it is because it is scientifically evidence-based. It works. I talk about, in the morning, casting grateful thoughts back and forth. So similar mm. to what you do, thinking about what was the best thing about yesterday and what's one thing I'm looking forward to today. Yeah. Because we yeah. know that it is more likely to happen when we
0: look forward to it and if so, people amazing. out there are just going oh this all sounds a bit woo-woo then there's yep. some fantastic books out there i'm gonna find one of them But there's two actually two book recommendations for your watchers and listeners one is called stumbling okay. up the how the happiness the how of happiness and the other Sony one is
1: Lomborski,
0: yes yeah stumbling on happiness and both then of them are written by it. scientists they're not written by kind of weirdo um cults um and it's all about <laughs> how neuroscience interacts with some of the practices that we've had for a long time, but, we, but we're we now only now discovering how clever they are. You know.
1: Yes, exactly. Because we know that the brain is plastic, isn't it? It's that neuroplasticity of the brain that yeah. if you've had this old thought pattern that's like you've been walking through a field of wheat going this way for all of your life till now, and you're listening right to this right now, you might decide, oh, I do want to be more optimistic. I see other people are more optimistic. You yeah. choose to make that change it's just like walking a new path through that field of wheat isn't it and it feels resistance at first and it might feel uncomfortable but over time it becomes easy it builds it up it becomes a habit yeah
0: you know and 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 unfortunately it can go the other way too because you you know you often see people and I'm sure people will have you know know people in their lives that are like this that are that are constantly focused on the negative or finding Mm. difficulty or you know you talk to people Mm. when you say you know How's it, you know, how you feel oh you know it's going to be terrible today I'm going to have a really hard day ahead and then at the end of the yeah. day oh, it was a tough day well of course it was tough. you expected it to be tough it will be tough mm. you know yeah. <laughs> you're expected to be miserable that's probably what you'll experience that's yes. not the reality around you in all likelihood you kind of create your own reality in your head mm-hmm. so yeah I think there's, there's challenges there so if, if, that's why I think as I say whichever one you practice you get really good at it
1: Mm, and I think we've got to watch our words because our words are really powerful I was actually was talking to a client the other day who who runs a quite a large company and most of the staff are in Auckland and he was just talking about how challenging lockdown was going to be and how awful it was going to be and and I was like "Mm, do I say something and I decided to be courageous and say well it will be more awful if you say that it will be and he was like oh yeah okay good point Lauren
0: And I wasn't sure if
1: I'd just broken the relationship, but actually after that, he asked me if I could do some coaching with his whole team. I was like, okay, so I think he needed to
0: hear that. I think you're completely right. The power of words is incredible. You know, even the phrase lockdown is actually a pretty crappy word. Like if we replaced that word with something else that was more around community, you know, where where, we're creating a safe space, a safe space, but you know, know, something, but I remember when I was in hospital that, you know, it it was one of the key lessons I learned is that, the language that you use about yourself and that others use about you creates that, you know, I would be lying, you know, when I, in the first couple of days of being in hospital, i would never been in the hospital in my life. And mm-hmm. I knew I was in the beginning of, of a very long journey in hospital. And people were saying to me, oh, you must be sick and suffering and you must be, you know, are you uncomfortable are you, you know, the, you're a you're a patient, you, you're sort of battling cancer and all these sorts of phrases create this sense of victimness in your head yes. yeah, mm-hmm. and you and you kind of allow yourself to feel like that and be a little bit sort of self-absorbed and, and pitying and and uh, we had to break the circuit I remember Catherine and I my wife and I were just break going we have to I can't be like this I can't be in victim mode for nine months or ten months or whatever yeah. the hell it's going to be and we had to mm-hmm. change the mindset and that was a really powerful one the way I did it was we used to pretend I was going on holiday so okay. instead of going to hospital, I'd say, well, I'm going on holiday next week, you know, and we'd pack my holiday bag and we'd, I'd you know, bring some props and costumes and, and posters for the walls and all that sort of stuff. And wow. just change the mindset instead of then mm. reading what was coming, you'd actually genuinely get to the point you go, oh, this is going to be quite cool. Like I'm, I'm going to be in Paris next week. Like, you know, I'm, I'm pretending I'm going to get everyone to dress up. I'm going to make the nurses laugh, you know. So it was always about h- how you can change the words around you yeah. as well.
1: Absolutely, that's powerful. Yeah. So, tell me a bit about what were the keys for you going through that period of time in terms of resilience, and what are your keys to listeners in terms of building our resilience?
0: Yeah, I mean resilience is built, you know, one step at a time. I've, I've got the sort of again this mental picture of resilience because I've, I've thought about it a lot. There's some some people who would consider that resilience as being sort of really stoic and strong mm. and facing mm. up to everything and. You know, and there's the image of a lighthouse. This is the kind of one, one image, you know, a lighthouse and there's a storm's coming in and it batters against it, but nothing yeah. breaks it. I think that's a terrible metaphor. And yeah. another metaphor that I also think is bad is the, is the image of, of kind of a nonstick fry pan. Because there are other people who just go, I don't Aww. care, like, I don't, you know, I'm not knowing no thing. I don't care a thing. And again, yeah. I think that's a terrible metaphor. The better, to me, the better metaphor for resilience is is the idea that actually you acknowledge that you're a human being, you know, we are emotional mm. people. Things will have an impact on you. You're allowed to feel um, at times down or sad or, or you know, mm. impacted. But you should realise that in time you're also going to come back. Um, mm. You're going to, and it's the I, I use the metaphor of a memory foam pillow. You know, a pillow on okay. bed. You put your head yeah. on it, and it makes a dent. And you leave, you take your head off the dent, still there for a while. But over over time, it comes back. You know, and it comes back to pretty much mm. where it was before. That's real resilience. It's not about ignoring the dent or pretending that you're not feeling bad it's about realizing that you will get Mm -hmm. back and and you can build those build those steps back more quickly when you realize that because you're not wallowing Mm -hmm. in self-pity
1: yeah, I love that. Yeah, that's a great analogy. I was picturing like a reed of bamboo that, you know, that it actually bends and then it sways back. But actually, the, the definition for resilience for an object is being able to spring back into its original shape. And yeah. often when I speak on resilience, I share that. And, and I, although I know it's not about humans, I actually think it is, it's a great analogy because, yes, we we have to acknowledge how we're feeling Yeah. over time, acknowledge that we will feel better when, you know, feelings come and go and that. Yeah, we'll get
0: better. And again, for those out there who are interested more in the science, and I'm, you know, I said earlier, Mm. I'm actually quite a sciencey person with the science university. If you're interested in this stuff, there's actually a lot of good wisdom here about how um, how this works, and it's again not it's not all this crazy woo-woo stuff. It is actually proven that you know humans will have got a a, a sort of a point they will usually come back to. You know, whatever the tragedy in your life, you're likely to come back to a, a, a natural set point. And, mm. and as say so you can influence where that is by you know through practices, but you know um, if you win lotto, you'll be incredibly happy for a period of time, but you'll actually come back to a set point. And similarly, mm. when you know when a loved one dies or you go through some sort of tragedy, you'll feel very low for a while, but you're likely to come back to a similar sort of set point um, mm. if you do nothing else. And that that's a really powerful you know and proven concept. So the point is now, how do you make that set point move? Not how do you how do you avoid the highs and lows because that's just life. Yes.
1: Yes. Yeah. So you're going to share with us some of the practices that you use and perhaps that others can emulate to keep your spirits up. What was it that you did? I know you shared pretending that you're going on holiday. Yep. What are there other things that you did that really yep. kept your spirits up?
0: Uh, it, it, it's it's anticipation and gratitude, are uh, probably the biggest two. Um, mm-hmm. That we talked about earlier. That, uh, you know, I always talk about the fact that that you know when you you know that old wives' tale or old sort of story about when you chop wood it warms you twice. It warms you when you chop it and it warms you when you burn it. Well, if mm-hmm. you do anticipation and gratitude, you'll get three times the burning. You'll yes. get it beforehand, and then when something happens that's good, and then when you reflect on it later, um, wow. that's a key one. The other big thing I always think of is um, is how do I make it? How do I how do I change this perspective of of me having to be happy? as my kind of set point to actually, how do I create a better, a better kind of community around me? And I know that, sound, mm-hmm. that sounds a bit a bit loose, but if you just step back, happiness is actually a very transient and, um, and, a, and not a great um, kind of ambition because happiness mm-hmm. is, is actually pretty um, one dimensional. You're either happy yeah. or not. And even though these, these books, when they get into it, when they talk about happiness, they actually, what they talk about is purpose is much more meaningful than happiness. Yeah, and quite often, when you when you can see purpose in what you're doing, even if you're not necessarily ecstatically happy about it, you'll get a much more uh, defined set of you know self worth and mm-hmm. relief and um and uh, you yeah, know for me um finding a purpose that is not about me is important you know so mm-hmm. if I wanted to just be happy yeah I would just live a really you know crazy life I'd you know drink a lot and go out a little time and you know buy lots of things but actually you know as you get older in life that none of that's real real Mm. what really matters is how do you make life better for everybody else around you how do you find your sense of purpose so Mm. that's probably the key thing is again when you when you learn yourself well enough to understand what really makes you tick leaning into Mm. purpose and living that purpose every day I mean I Mm. I spend a lot of time with other cancer patients for example now and it doesn't always make me happy. In fact, quite often it doesn't because it doesn't always yeah. go well. But that's my that's how I get my sense of purpose by by attempting to and sometimes helping other people going on their journeys through cancer. yeah. Um, wow. yeah. But again, if you if it's like it's high, high sugar foods, eat high sugar foods, you'll feel great for a few seconds and then you'll feel you won't feel good at all, versus really good food that, that's healthy and nutritious. It's kind of you have gotta look for that mm. stuff in your, in your mental life as well
1: yeah and i think that that sense of purpose it's it's about creating not just the superficial happiness but this deep sense of contentment and joy yes. isn't it and i think of you know martin seligman who's often referred to as the founding father of positive psychology which is essentially what we're talking about yeah And so if people if, if listeners aren't familiar you know go and listen to martin seligman talk about his perma model and the p of that model is purpose having that sense yes. of purpose in what we do yeah yeah so how do you think people find that? I know I'm asking you really tough questions, but I'm just picturing that if I was listening in, i <laughs> this is great, David. I want to be more resilient. I want to be more optimistic. I want to have that sense of purpose. Yeah. What are ways that you find purpose? Or how do you recommend people tap Well, in? for me, I
0: mean, I'm I'm lucky. I'll say lucky, actually. I was lucky because facing cancer and or terminal diagnosis or a tragedy or whatever in life is is a great way to help you really refine what's important to you and what which is your purpose so for me that was my path i was probably already on that path anyway i mean it felt like you know for years i've been you know like everybody as you get older you start to realize there's a bit more to life than just um so i was on that but but there are if, if people out there are going what is my purpose ask other people what what they think of you that you think is important and then start to go, do I like that or not? You know, start benchmarking yourself. If you start, if you talk to your friends and you say, what do you think? What do you think that I think is important in life? And if they say, oh, having fun and going out drinking and blah, 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 and that doesn't resonate with you, then that's not what you're projecting. Then there's something wrong, you know, kind of an imbalance. And it's, it's about, you know, there's not, I don't think there's a magic formula to it, although there's lots of good tools online for, you know, finding mm. finding value and meaning and working out what your personal values are, et cetera, et cetera. Working with a great coach can help you really sort of dig in. But fundamentally, it's about asking yourself really deep questions and not being afraid of the answer and not being, not trying to hide behind the fact that that might scare you when you find it. Um, but it's a worthwhile exercise, whatever you do, because you'll get, you'll enrich yourself, you know, you'll, you'll learn more about yourself. Mm,
1: mm.
0: yeah and it comes back to that self-awareness isn't it yeah yeah it's some people get that much earlier in life than others you know you can see some people who are very self-aware very early in life and others it takes they never get there or it takes you know a long time but it really is um, a breakthrough when you find it and you realize that actually I'm in harmony you know things are in harmony I remember mm. when I was at school I went to a catholic boys school I'm not catholic anymore but I but it but I remember one particular lesson, one of the teachers said that and you know, it was the it was the kind of religious studies, but it was actually really this guy was great. He was a he was a philosopher and a psychologist. And he said, you've actually really only got two jobs in life. One is to work out what your personal value system is. And the second is to live it. Yeah. And he was telling that to like 15-year-old boys at a at a high school. But man, that's me my whole life. Like, what a really powerful way to think. It wasn't do unto others as you do unto the self, blah, 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 all those kind of really religiously mm. top-down things. It was much more, find out what's what your value system is and then live it. And when you're doing that, you're kind of in harmony. It's like, wow, that's powerful.
1: Mm. It is. It's interesting, isn't it, when you reflect back on some of those profound things that, yeah. that have stuck with you. Yeah, very good. So you said one key is choosing how you want the day to be or how you want the week to be, what you're looking forward to. Another key is reflecting back on it. And and I think of uh, Sean Aker who talks about this, who says that, you know, recapping your highlight from the day, which is something we do around the dinner table, we share what was the best thing about your day and no one's allowed to get down from the table unless they've shared what it was and asked someone oh, really? else. Really? And yeah, and so recapping that, it actually doubles your happiness factor because your brain doesn't distinguish between that great thing happening and then you just replaying it. So the more that we practice these sorts of things, the more that we train ourselves to be resilient and optimistic
0: yeah exactly it's it's uh, and another stat that i heard again um scientifically proven is that it, it takes work but you've got to acknowledge that it, it's not natural if you see people who are naturally optimistic it's because inside their head they're actually working on it they might not even realize it and it mm. takes something like three positive experiences to outweigh one bad one or something you know is that you, mm. you know more about this than i do laura but um, and so you're constantly having to you know needing to find those positive things so that you don't allow yourself to slip backwards it's pretty hard and mm-hmm. things like these sort of lockdowns we've been having even the most optimistic people will find them challenging because you're because you if you're not concerned about yourself you're probably concerned about other people and society and what's going on and you're feeling bad and so yeah. you've got to kind of this is even work harder during these periods to to make sure that you're focused on the things that you can control that you've yes. got some sort of sense of agency over because that's important. Then you're not a victim, you're, you know, you're a participant. Um, and then that, and keep up those practices when you can. Mm,
1: absolutely. Yeah, I really like that. And I think, again, people watching this, it'll be obviously in the post-COVID era, whenever you're listening into this, these things are relevant for any time. And yeah. life is always uncertain to a certain extent. And we always get to choose to focus on what's within our control. And I think that, yeah, that's probably the biggest thing I've thought of because I've certainly founded a roller coaster here. I teach about resilience, and yet I've, you know, gone through the roller coaster of emotions as well. And that's just part yeah. of being human.
0: Good on mm-hmm. you. Yeah. Mm.
1: So tell me a bit about when you were writing the book, what was that process like? But your most recent book, I think yeah, you've got cool. a, few, Let me a, good a copy. That. On, show, show, it, do, do a bit of show yeah. and tell a that's mild cool. touch of not just man flu, but the cancer.
0: Yeah. Well, the idea was that when I first got diagnosed, I thought I had the flu and I was sort of going, ah, oh, it's just the flu, just the flu. I was typical male, you know, ignoring my symptoms. And so what happened was actually the reason I wrote this book is I actually started writing it the day I got diagnosed. I was in hospital. I was in the, you know, the doctors actually and had my laptop because I was supposed to be going to work. Um, and I thought, Oh God, sitting in the waiting room, you know, waiting, you know, feeling all very entitled. Um, and yeah. I got my laptop out and started just writing about what I was feeling and the emotions and the experience and, and I kind of constructed a blog and I sent it off to stuff, um, the newspaper and said, oh, I've just been diagnosed with cancer. I think it's going to be a while. Maybe I'll write a column every week about what it's like because I don't I'm wow. going to learn a lot. And so that's what I did. And they published it every week. And that became this this book. Um I thought I would write maybe, you know, 10, 15. I ended up writing 60 for a year and a half, you know, like every week, whether wow. I felt like it or not, no matter how, sometimes it's, and it's, I'm so glad I did because it's in real time. So yes. sometimes they're great, exactly. you know, they're really funny and, you know, because I'm used to you know, right funny. Other times it's pretty stark because I'm going, shit, I just found out I've been, you know, that's it. I'm out, I'm out of yeah. options. So never quite knew how the book would end.
1: <laughs> yeah. So,
0: Uh, In fact, writing part of the book, I go, I'm writing this, I'm going to turn it into a book, and I'm jealous of you, the reader, because you can turn to the last page and find out what happened, but I've got to live the next six months, or 12 months, or whatever it's going to be. Um, Yeah, so that was the process, but it became a really cathartic thing, um, because it externalized a lot of the thoughts, and allowed me to, you know, see things much more objectively. So you know we would be going through I'd be going through a really terrible procedure like you know a lumbar puncture where they'd literally stick a big thing in your back to get spinal fluid out and, and excruciating mm. pain and then Catherine leaned over and went, This will be good for the blog. <laughs> it's like <laughs> I'd go, yeah, and it's uh, like changing mindset. It's like, oh you're right, yeah, yeah. this is great. Right. I mean, yeah, Which now I'm going I'm It's adding a sense of purpose, right? It's adding yeah. this whole extra yeah, layer that? of purpose yeah. to what you're
1: doing. Yeah.
0: yeah. We didn't necessarily realize we were doing that at the time, although later we sort of realized we started doing it more, but that sort of thing of reframing something instead of being a victim of this, I was actually going, Oh, now my job is to be a really good participant so I can report on it to help other people know what to expect. Blah blah. blah. So it sort of changes that purpose. Yeah. Wow.
1: And so your children were teenagers during that my time? My children. Yeah. Or... At the
0: time, sort of all three of them were teenagers. Yeah. And so in the book, you'll, I talk about them quite a bit because obviously they're a big part of the story. Yeah. Um, and it's funny enough, one of my kids, and this is a true story, he changed on my phone, he changed the autocorrect so that when we wrote their names, it changed their names to superhero names. So, <laughs> right, Jack, and as soon as you press space, it would change it to Superman. And so, he did that on my phone and Catherine's phone and stuff. And so, and we didn't know how to change it back because we're old. Um, so, we just left it like that. So, all through the book, we kept them as them as Jack, as super, Superman, and Batman, and the Green Lantern. It's so funny because yeah, yeah. even the teachers at school got to know that we would say, you know, we would text them. Jack's going to be late for school, but they would get super. <laughs> going to be late for school. <laughs> yeah, that's very really uh, cool.
1: Yeah, nice. So, how did? Um, oh, I just love that. And, and sorry to bring it on more of a somber note, but I'm just thinking okay. how did how did you how did your kids deal with it, and how did you deal with communicating with your kids about the whole yeah the whole
0: at the time it was amazing and it still is but you know at the time you know the boys were the three boys they were really supportive of their mother they were like you know and we tried to be very honest with them but not tragic you know overly catastrophizing we were yeah exactly what we knew but we wouldn't labor it so they knew what was going on there were times where it wasn't easy to talk about the thoughts of things but we'd also try and keep our spirits up as a family and be focused on the future and you know particularly as we thought there was an option for me to go to the U S and things like that it became very yep. kind of positive. So they were really good. Like afterwards, the doctor said to me that, you know, you're, you, the, you, fan, your family is highly likely you've been through a really traumatic period of your life. You're going to get into some post-traumatic stress situations and that's been true. Like yeah. It's been harder after as mm-hmm. we all reflect back on, and, and there's certain things that really, you know, trigger one of the, a couple of the boys, you know, when they, when they hear me talk about things or when I'm talking to other patients and stuff, and they find, they can find that hard. So we, we're still working through it. It didn't really go yeah. away, um, yeah. just being honest. And and um, harder for the younger one in particular. Um, but, you know, it's, it's also, again, talking about resilience, it's made us much more resilient as a family. We're really mm. tight-knit. The boys mm. are very supportive of their mother through that period. And, um, yeah, and I wouldn't, I mean, there was... I, I look back at my whole <laughs> cancer and I go, and I'm quite honest, I wouldn't want to do it again. <laughs> yeah. I definitely regret the impact it had on others, but I, but for me personally, I wouldn't change it, you yeah, know, of course. isn't that crazy? Cause at the time it was, awful, <clears> and, but I look back there and go, man, that was, a, that was, you've got, and again, it's about how you frame it, but it was a gift to be able to go through that and get to where I am now. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I do re- regret the impact it had for others rather than me.
1: Yeah that's yeah that's really touching but I think it makes me think as well of you know currently we are as we're recording this Auckland is in lockdown yeah. you know, and it's been the fourth one for you guys which I do really feel for you and it's been really tough for so many people and at the same time we know that it's the most challenging times in our life that are the most resilience building that's when we stretch and when we grow and And I I think it's a good opportunity now to cast your mind forward to think in a year from now, when you look back at this period, what will you have learned? And so I guess that's the one thing to perhaps be hopeful about is to think, what can we be learning right now? Yeah, exactly. And what you
0: just said is really important too. There's a couple of things if people can just hold on to. One is that in the same way that you don't get fit by sitting around, you get fit by going to the gym, by stretching muscles, by pushing your body a bit further. Same sort of thing. Like If you're finding it tough... Just reframe it as actually I'm exercising my emotional muscles mm. and, and that will be great for me in the long run. Um, mm. And then don't let yourself kind of get too stuck in that, in that you know, despair because yes, it's natural to feel bad and, and, and awful and, and give yourself, I call it a, sort of a good recreational cry, um, yeah. you know, but, yeah. but then you get yourself back up again, you know, and again, all this old wisdom comes back, you know, pick yourself back mm. up and keep going. Isn't yeah. about stoicism. It's actually about resilience. It's about how do you kind of, kind of, just make sure that you find yourself back in that, in that positive zone again.
1: Mm, yes, because being resilient isn't about being tough. Because then you'll just snap.
0: Yeah, It's about it.
1: being adaptable and being
0: bendable. That's right. Yeah.
1: yeah. So good. Oh, David, I just love talking to you. I'm just so thrilled. I'm so pleased that you've had such an amazing outcome from your treatment, and Thank great you. to hear that that's available here in New Zealand. It's just, I mean, I can just tell in the short time we spent together that you're just an amazing human being. So, thank you for everything that you do in the world, and thank you for sharing your story. I can imagine that it was very cathartic, but also very challenging to yeah. do that blog yeah. and to publish that book.
0: So, cool. so if yeah. people
1: wanted to find out more or, or follow yeah. you or, or, you or grab to a copy for yourself or someone else, yeah, you
0: can Google me, definitely. You'll find me and you'll find the book online. Mild touch. The other thing you'll find online, and this is for, particularly for cancer patients, when I was sick, I used to get in this. I made a joke about, you know, using my cancer to get out of doing things. It can become like a family joke of like, I can't help <laughs> with got cancer or whatever. And then my kids called it Dad's Playing the Cancer Card. And so yes. actually, my friends uh, and I made these set of these cancer cards. So okay. if, you, if you want one of these, get in touch with me. And I've got these cancer cards, and basically, you know, when you're if you're going through the cancer, it kind of makes a joke of it, going, "Hey, I'm playing my yeah. cancer card. I'm I'm not feeling great." I'm not
1: taking the rubbish out. I'm not doing I'm the not dishes.
0: The exactly. So yeah, if you Google me, you'll find a website you can grab one of those, and and uh, please share it around.
1: Oh, that's good. Yeah, that this reminds me of my own tiny example. I was like, "Oh, I've had the vaccine. My arms sore. My arms a bit sore. Like, I don't think I can do the dishes." But yeah, I like what... that. That's much more, exactly. much more poignant and appropriate. Good stuff. Yeah, very good. So, David, just as we wrap up, if there's one final thing you'd like to share with everyone listening in, what would it be?
0: Um, Realise that that everybody has their own journey through positivity or resilience or trying to find their own purpose and meaning in life. Um, if people look like they've got their, their shit together, they, they probably haven't. They just may be a little bit further on in the journey, but it is a process that you can you can get yourself into habit on as well. So, you know, ask for help if you need it. Some people need that help, that's great. But realize that actually everybody's on that same journey. Mm.
1: Thank you so much. Thank you for your time and, yeah, for your openness and authenticity just to share your story. I really appreciate it, David.
0: Cool. Kaki channel.
1: Yeah. Thank you so much, Debra, for tuning in. That's been another episode of the Thrive TV show. Go out and thrive.
0: Thank you for listening to the Thrive TV show with Lauren Parsons. Visit ThriveTVShow.com to access the show notes and discover our fantastic bonus content. And be sure to subscribe so you don't miss the next inspiring episode.